Thank you, snowboarding. Hey friends, happy new year. Welcome back to Thank You Snowboarding, the podcast that is diving into UK snowboard culture. Past and present. And it's all done with a lot of love and support from the Snowboard Asylum. And they've been looking after snowboarders for a long time. So it's quite right that they look after this podcast too. This week, we are talking to my brother, David Cracknell. Um, When I had the idea for this podcast, I knew that at some point I would want to speak to him about his journey. And it's quite interesting talking to him about some of this stuff because obviously I've only seen it from my standpoint. So getting his views on some things and uh, hearing his story from through his interpretation of it is really interesting uh dave had a good run sort of late 90s through the early 2000s he uh rode for airwalk for a time for west beach duotone um playstation i remember we used to get free playstation games that was always a win Uh, (laughs) crash bandicoot seems to be the standout memory of those games um, yeah, he had a good time and took it quite far. And we talk about like some of those things and to where he is now. He ended up on the cover of a CD called Snowboard Generation that was quite popular around the country and certainly got some publicity. Um, yeah, he did all right. And um, he is certainly was and I assume is still a great snowboarder and one of the people I've enjoyed going snowboarding with the most. A little example of this, he turned up in Les Arcs after having, I think, three years off just after he'd had kids. And I think on the first morning it just snowed, we went up and, uh, you know, I picked picked a line through some cliffs and he did this, like, this double drop straight off the bat. It was like being fired out of a gun, like he'd not spent any time off it at all. And, uh, yeah, he is that good. Loads of natural talent and a good sensibility and he likes getting at it. So it's interesting to see where he is now with snowboarding and um, basically to relive some of the fun times we've had together as well. It was a real pleasure. Took quite a lot of editing this one, but it was a joy and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did making it. And I'll be back at the end for some housekeeping as usual. Here we go, David Cracknell. I remember there being a conversation at some point about me having dyslexia, but it was never tested um, and it kind of went un. It didn't get dealt with. Yeah. It was just like, oh, he might be dyslexic. That's the end of it. But I struggled at school, like ridiculously struggled. And then, I, and then I found snowboarding through a mixture of stuff on TV and your influence of yeah. being at the dry slope. And then something about that was like, I understood it. Yeah, so coming from like the school environment, secondary school environment, I didn't really understand what was going on or what was expected of me. Then you had second, and then you, but then you had snowboarding and it was like, I get it. I, I, I can, I could probably do that. So then I went and went to the dry slope with my board taught myself how to turn and it was like right 
I've got I can I can get across the slope on my heels. I, then I can get across the slope on my toes. Then I can link a turn. I can go from heels to toes, and then from toes to heels. And there was a real progression. Yeah, you I could feel the progression. Like yeah, I'm getting better. I can do this. And that wasn't something that I was getting at school. So that became, I would say, fairly um, addictive. Yeah. Yeah. So then it was like, right, then the, then they started having their snowboard nights at the dry slope. And then it's like, right, we've got to jump now. You know, and I'd watched those, I'd watched like Critical Conditions and Snowboarders in Exile, you know, so many times. You know, I knew what all the grabs were. So it was like, right, get off the jump. Grab the board indie, grab the board tail grab, grab the board melon. You know, it was just like crossing them off, right? Got that one, can do that one, can do that one. You know, on this massive great big board that I had. Like a 160, wasn't it? It was a one, I think it was a 155, but I was a short 13-year-old. Yeah, and it had my stance was like Frank Scrim <laughs> stance, you know, so narrow. Um, just T-bolted through the board That's on this right, like yeah. giant ski. So then then getting into like spinning and that didn't really happen on that board. No. But but that progression was like, oh, okay, right, look, I'm learning. You know, like I like this. I can do this. I know what I understand it. I know what's going on. And I think that's probably what then, you know, that that was what hooked me into snowboarding because it made me feel good because it made me feel like I was achieving something. Yeah, like you're, I mean, you know, they put that down sort of being neurodivergent now. Yeah. But that, that, I don't know if disability is the right word, and I certainly don't want to offend anyone, but um, sort of that thing doesn't then hold you back. It's not, it's not something that holds you back. If anything, it probably helps in a way because you focus in on more. Yeah, well, I became quite obsessive about snowboarding, that's yeah. for sure. Like, you know, that was everything. You know, going as many times a week as you could to many different, you know, to different dry slopes all, you know, as yeah. around London. Just, again, just constantly just trying to learn new tricks or do the tricks that you could do better or become more consistent at them. You know, it was, it was a never-ending, like, bag of, you know, that you would never beat it. Yeah. Yeah, you would just keep going and going and going. And then and that's basically, you know, that 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 progression and learning then led into like other opportunities that you know I didn't ever think that I would, you know, so like writing for Snowboard UK or or White Lines. Like I never thought I'd as a dyslexic person who couldn't really spell. Yeah. Yeah. And was sort of considered to be like at the bottom end of the of the school ability spectrum. I never thought that, oh, I'd get an opportunity not only to write for the magazines, but to be assistant editor at, at Snowboard UK for a season. Yeah. And, you know, those experiences, I, I think probably gave me a lot of confidence that anything was possible. Yeah, so, I think it's fair to say that school didn't really treat you well because you weren't, unable to learn you were unable to do one specific thing and that held you back and I mean you've gone on sort of since then to prove that 
you're clearly bright enough and motivated enough to achieve whatever you sort of set your mind to. Absolutely, and I think that's what snowboarding has given me. It's giving me that try, you know, yeah, okay, you're not, you might not do it first time, but try again, try again, try again, and you, you will do it. Like, it, it will happen. You just have to keep trying. And that's what, you know, what a great life lesson that is to have, yeah. you know, because it's like lots of people get put off if they fail once. But that's just part of the process. And that's what snowboarding taught me or has yeah has taught me is that the more times you try it, you're going to get a little bit closer every time until you finally succeed. And failure or not achieving something isn't actually anything to be worried about in fact it should be encouraged because that's the thing that gets you to where you want to be whether it's you know your first turn or a 360 or <laughs> writing a cv for a job or a job interview or, or whatever you know it, it, it that that skill is completely transferable across everything and snowboarding opened that up to me definitely did you ever ski yeah so so then you had the job at the dry slope, which then I would see because we would come and pick you up and drop you off, do you know what I mean, with, with mum and dad. And and then it was like, oh, okay, the school were doing a ski trip. Yeah. And you're 13. <clears throat> you're the youngest. You, you can go on it, but you're like the youngest that they'll let you go at, to the ski trip. So yeah, it was yeah. like, all right, cool. So then I went to the dry slope, which was Bromley dry slope known as Profiles to profiles. us back then. And by all accounts on the site where they buried, buried a load of gold bullion from the Mac <laughs> train robbery. Shout, what's his name? Ted, Ted Summit or other. Yeah, he built a leisure centre on top of where yeah. he buried the, the Brink Mac the, the gold bullion. But anyway, yeah. so... Allegedly. Allegedly. So, yeah. So that was the rumour that was always there. But, so what... So then I went and had... A ski lesson I had a couple of ski lessons right and like everything you know like at that age I really didn't have a clue what was going on ever right. yeah so I remember having a ski lesson and then it was fine and then I had another one about six months later like so I, and I was like well I'm having the second lesson not the first lesson I've done the first lesson <clears throat> but it was so long ago I'd completely forgotten what everything was yeah so they take you to the top of the the, the slope and then they say right go into um, snowplow and I thought snowplow meant just parallel skis so I just dropped in at the top with the skis pointing forward and went straight down towards the ski tech like the building but yeah. luckily the doors were open and I went flying <laughs> into where everyone gets their boots on so off the slope along the drive it and then into the building and it was just like that was really lucky that the doors were open and then and then I went on the ski trip like in my full on, went to the ski show to get where, where my outfit. Like where, where did you go on the ski We trip? went to, it was Austria. And I don't, I, I, I want to say it was somewhere like Meyerhofen or somewhere. But like, this was like, there was one lift up. Like there was this one single seater lift right. that took you all the way to into like the ski area yeah, yeah, when yeah. there was then loads of other lifts. But it was like the sketchiest lift ever. Yeah. And you've never been on a chairlift before. And you, the first time you're on a chairlift, you're on it on your own. Like, good luck. Yeah, so we we were there for the week. And, and that was great. You know, it was something completely different. Like, never been in that environment before. Um, 
and everyone was skiing. You know, snowboarding wasn't wasn't even a thing then. Like it was a thing, but it wasn't. You know, it nothing. Like, it wasn't was like going to be available going on a school ski trip. And I don't even remember ever seeing someone snowboarding when we were there. But I remember what I remember is going to the ski show. Yeah, and being like, I need an outfit. <laughs> So it was like CNA. and a Let's get to CNA. And there's a photo around somewhere of like, it was like I went for the pink trousers. I had this like matching top, but it wasn't pink, but it had pink sort of bits on it. And it, it didn't have like the little avalanche transceiver. That was, I went for the brand below that. They had their own one that had like a little chip in it that would oh, find yeah, you yeah, if yeah. you got buried in avalanche, but that was too expensive. And I had these really hideous block sunglasses and a thermal yes, a thermal hyper colour pink cap. So I was fully and there's a picture, I remember my nan had it on her mantelpiece <laughs> of that, so I'd see it all the time. And I, it's, it's epic as a first outfit. It it's great. But we did that and then and then came back and then obviously having done that, you were still going to the dry slope all the time. And and I'm not quite sure how you transitioned from skiing to snowboarding. But I remember you coming home with videos um, from, yeah, you said earlier, like critical conditions and snowboarders in exile that had like all the sort of Sean Palmer and Chris Roach and like Noah Selaznik and all like the early pioneers over there of like freestyle snowboarding. And we would just watch them again and again and again and again. Like it just never got boring. No. And then and then every now and then it would be on TV, so like on High Five, and you would see that and it would be like, oh my, this, this just looks like the, the best thing ever. Yeah. But I had a bit of a tendency at, when I was young to have different fads. So like I would just get into something, want all the kit, and as soon as I had all the kit, just give it up. Archery, archery is the like, one I remember. Yeah, and I've still got the the bow in the loft. Still, yeah, I have. Yeah, sometimes we get it out in the garden and just set up a target. But <laughs> anyway, so and I was there was something about snowboarding that I didn't want to do that with. I knew yeah. from the very beginning that that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to just be given all the stuff and go and do it and give it up. So I saved up. Yeah. So I saved my money. And then I bought my first board from the back of a magazine catalogue. So in the back of the magazines, you would have, like, the shop was Grand Prix, yeah, which did Ed, that turn Ed, into... Ed mentions this as the Grand Prix ads that had, like, at the bottom, they'd have some second-hand listings. Yeah, well, this was... That's where I got like, my first board from. Yeah, so. okay. So this was, like, yeah, it was... I remember it with skateboarding as well in, like, Rad Magazine. Like, you would have... It would, it's basically just a page of a catalogue in there. It'd have all the boards yeah. and it would have a price underneath. And then you would just phone them up and say, right, I wanted this. So my first board was a Rosignol Freestyle 155 and I was 13. So it was like massive for me. Didn't it have plate binding? Plate binding? No, it had the, the bindings. They just asked me if I was regular or goofy. <laughs> so I said I was regular <laughs> and then they just T-cut, T-bolted the no bindings way. onto the board, which, you know, now is like basically they put a T-bolt is the equivalent of an insert, but they would drill the hole through the board yeah, yeah, yeah. and put this so you could see, each binding you could see four metal yeah. inserts yeah, from yeah, underneath. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. base was gone where they were. 
So they just put them on. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've got no choice in my stance. They just bolted them on, and I, like so, I could change the angles, but I couldn't change the width. The width. And it was kind of set back because all that was called the freestyle. Yeah, it had like it looked like a giant ski, and um, so I take that to the dry slope. So I hadn't even snowboarded. I bought my snowboard before I'd even tried snowboarding. Really? Didn't yeah. So so I bought the board, and then I would go to the dry slope, and they would say, "Can you control turn ski and stop?" And it's like, "Yep, <laughs> I can do all of them," even though I've never even said st- stepped on a snowboard before. And I would just walk up to the first exit on like one side, and just do like either a hill or toe turn all the way over to the other side to the bottom yeah. and then I would get the lift up on the other side and just do it the opposite so toe side all the way across to the bottom Yeah, and I would just do that like so it's like an X just yeah. doing that for hours and then I started slowly started to turn so yeah I bought this board and then I started I taught myself how to snowboard that's amazing I think did you do that when I'd already gone away for my first season hmm because I don't remember any yeah, of this, so yeah. I don't think I was around for that. Yeah, you'd gone to Val d'Isere, and I knew I was coming out to visit you. Yeah, that's right. So it was all prep work. Right, I need to be able to snowboard before I go. Yeah. And I still think, like, I had I had, so I had had so the Rosignol board, whatever bindings came with that, I don't know, probably Rosignol, I suppose. And then I had um, I had North Wave Arrow boots, which I still think today are the most comfiest boots <laughs> i was looking for some on ebay recently just because they're so comfy the when you've got bad entry... ankles and knees you just need wellies you know like to take the pressure off everything yeah. else but they were like the entry level boots that everyone everyone they must have had sold so many pairs of those yeah and then the rest of you know i don't know what i had the rest of the kit but and then so i just did that so that i could turn before i came to val yeah. And then somehow we managed to wait. I don't know how we did this because, like, looking back now, I, I just think, oh, what were they thinking? But it was like you were in Val d'Isere. Yeah, I was thinking about this this morning, right? actually. And they said, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to Val d'Isere. And they're like, okay, cool. I've never even, I've been to France before. But I've never been on a plane, right, ever. So the first time I'm put on a plane, I'm walked to the gate by just a random stranger. Yeah. Put on the plane and there's no one to meet me at the other end. No, there wouldn't have been. I had to find someone that you knew who was doing transfers. So I had to... So I'd never been on a plane, landed at an airport, and then I had to find the coach station and then find just this random person. And you were like 13, 13. 13. I was 13. Right. Yeah, and I had to find this random person Yeah. that would then say, yeah, sit, and then hope that he knew where you were in Val d'Isere. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was no other way of <laughs> making contact. <laughs> so fun. And I don't know how I got there. <laughs> and then he was like, for some reason, he knew where you were when we got there. We didn't have, there was no mobile phones or anything like that. No. So he knew where you were. You were in, right, so then we get to like, you were in a place called GJ's or something. GJ's. Some, GJ's. GJ's. Which, or something like that, which yeah, was no, made. It was Gregor, wasn't it? Who owned G- Gregor <laughs> well, I don't know, else. but that was made like epic by <clears throat> Simon Smith. And um, Posse, who were in the Chaos movie. The Chaos movie, yeah. Yeah, of which we had had. Yeah. Yeah. Like we were, we'd watched that. That was like UK first snowboard, yeah, like BMX. skateboard, BMX, which were all the things that I was into. Yeah. So, so it was like, oh, we're we going to GJ's. 
they're in GJ's, wicked. I'm 13, I turn up and you're like, do you want a beer? And I'm like, yeah, I'll have a beer. <laughs> so I'm drinking beer in I'm the pub. I'm so sorry. And then it's like, it was just amazing. <laughs> you know, just all of these, this, yeah, just everything was new yeah. and exciting and like, didn't give it the thought of really what was going on. No. Just, just did it. No fear at all. And then, and then, yeah, then we spent the week in Val d'Isere, which was kind of, I suppose, from my point of view, I remember like one day of snowboarding, just cruising along and it being like wicked. Just, you know, on the piece, just turning around, like just turning, yeah. like really lovely. But the rest of it, I, I didn't really enjoy that much because you were living in a basement under yeah. the chalet that had rats in it. And I can remember sitting there talking to you and just this rat just popped out next to your shoulder of the block work. And I was like, what? Like just, fuck, yeah, we're sleeping was... somewhere. We're, we're sleeping in a rat infested basement. Yeah. I can see now how that's, <laughs> I, yeah, just thinking about it, I seem to remember that your sort of mood started dipping the longer you were there. Yeah. And it, I guess it was tough. It was a kind of a brutal introduction like it's a tough way to go and be on holiday yeah yeah it wasn't like you know the holidays that we had as a family where we might stay in like a, a villa no, or something no, it and it was all grim it right? was grim and then i remember i got sunstroke yeah and you were working clean washing dishes or yeah, whatever yeah. and i came one night and i ended up chucking up all over the kitchen like proper yeah exorcist yeah. projectile vomit <laughs> Like, never been sick like that before or since. And then the next day, the people that worked in the chalet basically let me stay in the chalet, like, let me just stay on the sofa in the chalet. Right. And that was, like, such a relief. I can remember it being like, oh, fuck, you know, I'm not in the basement today. Like, it was really nice. But saying that, but then I came home, again, you know, managed to get home okay. Don't really remember getting home. But there was something... Like, even though it wasn't perfect, there was something about it that had hooked me. Yeah. And then and then the dry slope where I'd been teaching myself, it turned out that there, there was a, like a freestyle night, like a, a snowboard night yeah. on a Tuesday night. So it was like, all right, I'm going to gonna go and check that out. And I can remember going down and the jump was like, there was one jump and it was tiny. But in the first night, it was like, going jumping off that indie melon you know i knew what all the grabs were because i'd watched the videos and it was like boom 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 just tail grab like all of them just the only one that was difficult was the the backside air like the yeah, method yeah, yeah, yeah um all the others you just yeah got them and then that and then there was like four or five maybe six other people down there all doing the same thing and then everything that everything changed at that point because it was like right now there's there's a group of people who all live fairly locally. Yeah. And everyone's going to meet there on a Tuesday night, get the jump out and just, just do that all night. Yeah. And that was, that is basically what happened for the next five years. So my second season I did with Toby, we went to Les Art and you came out to that and you turned up with a brushy mm. that was some sort of, some our dad trying to 
pay a bit less tax or something, so he's spending a bit of money on stuff that he could put through the books somehow. I don't remember. I, I mean, I don't know how I, I got it. That. I don't remember how I got it. I just remember having it. But then, but I don't know, it just seemed to be like that. And then when you came out that time, there was definitely like a fucking hell, he's getting good. So there's, there's, so I can remember the very moment <clears throat> that something clicked. Okay. Now it starts with an episode of Bored Stupid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so obviously, Phil Young, Normski. 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 What a legend. Big up, big up Normski. Yeah. Um, he's on the list. <clears throat> Is he, he should be. <laughs> He's definitely on the list. Um, all these people should be on the list, to be honest. I think most of them are. So, so they had an episode and they were somewhere. And I think in the episode they had Jake Phelps from Thrasher magazine on it. Yeah. And they were talking about what I can remember is they were talking about like front side airs, backside, you know, like the whole, exactly. ar- I, the whole argument. Is it a front? Is it a backside air? Is it a front side grab? Like, I can't remember. But can then, you do a front? Basically, is there a, such a thing as a front side indie? Yeah. And he was saying, no, that there, it isn't. It's just not a thing. It's a front side air. And snowboarders were saying, yeah, it's a front side 360 indie. And Jake Phelps was like, no, it's not. No, you cannot have that. That just doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. And in that, you had Sasha. Yeah. Um, who else was in it? I remember Sasha being in it. And I think Reese. Reese, yeah. And then there was someone else who rode for Ride at the time. <clears throat> and I cannot remember his name. It's like I don't know if it's like Ben Graham or I'm getting this like completely mixed up. But what I remember is because I can remember the board he was riding. Yeah. And the footage they had, he came along and he did a front side air indie crossbone off like a little hip, okay? And it looked the absolute nuts, right? So then we get to Whistler, uh, no, sorry, we get to Les Arcs. I've got the brushy, yeah, like, so I've I've gone through quite a few boards by this time. Yeah, you've always been a bit of a board destroyer, haven't you, Yeah, as well? so I had I had the, the Rosinov giant ski, couldn't get rid of that quick enough, really, because it just looked like a giant ski. Then I got a liquid, which slipped. was which I cracked the sidewall. That's right. And then had to take that back to Esprit de Keep in London, yeah. which was then where I first met Pete Turvey. But you know that office is what became Fabric. Yeah, fab- right, okay, which is <laughs> hilarious because I've been there a few times. Um, and then I had a ride. And anyway, and I got, eventually got to this brushy and he yeah. thought I'd wanted a Burton forever. And there was always like this chance, so you might be able to get a, like a end of season Burton if you knew yeah. the right person yeah, yeah, yeah. and you got in quick. I finally got this brushy and it was like a thing of beauty. And then got got to Les Arcs, went riding, and we got off the top of I think it's 69, the lift 69. Yep. And there or over in Paisley Way or whatever. And there was just like a little hip. Yeah, like the bottom of a um you know, a lift pole. Yeah. What is it? Whatever that's called. And it's where the snow had ramped up. And I went off it. And I did a front side indie crossbone, and it felt exactly like it looked in that ish, that episode of Board Stupid. Yeah. And then it was like, that is it. Yeah. It's on. Like, just the feeling of having seen something and then do it, and it just the two combined. It hasn't it hasn't actually happened that many times that right. I've been snowboarding, but that just changed everything and then it was just like right 
let's go like what can we what's the next trick to learn what's what else can we jump off and 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 that's you know just the progression you know like every day you could go out and just mess around and you would learn something yeah and, and there you... were no there were no like you it wasn't like you were getting it right or wrong it was just like what do you want to learn like yeah i want to grab the board like this i want to tweak my leg like that i like i just want to do it my way and and you could yeah i think you saw it well from my perspective it certainly seemed that you wanted to learn stuff oh. i think for me it was like i'm already winning because i'm not in crayford anymore mm. i'm doing this i'm doing it at whatever level like you know i enjoy doing stuff tricks and sort of learning things, but I didn't have that kind of innate nature to sort of throw myself off massive cliffs and stuff because I just, that wasn't what I was in it for. Whereas you seem to have a bit more fire to be like, I want to push this as far as I can yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, there was never any thought of like, I, well, at that point, there was not a thought of like anything other than what are the possibilities. Like, I can just jump off that cat track and just do a 360 or, or whatever, you know, like, just grab it. I can just jump off everything. I can literally jump off everything. I think coming from a skateboarding background and a BMX background, which I'd sort of done previously, yeah. skateboarding I found really difficult. Yeah, I think everyone does. Right? And all of a sudden, I can, I can get that feeling, but on a snowboard, because it's easy, because yeah. it's like your feet are strapped to it, so there's no technique in it whatsoever, really, you know what I mean? And it's like, I'm airborne, and I'm grabbing the board, and I feel like, you know, I'm smashing it. And then you've got, like, the BMXing. I would jump BMXing, but, like, doing tricks on BMXs, I always found really difficult. So now I'm jumping, and I'm doing tricks, and I can do a 180, or I can do, a, you know, a 360, and it's just... It was all coming so quickly and easy. Yeah. It was just like intoxicating. Like, oh, okay, right. I'm gonna do a backside one eighty, but I'm gonna grab it here, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a, another backside one eighty and grab it there. You know, it's all of a sudden. You know, you learn how to do a backside one eighty, and you just can do like ten more tricks because you can grab it in different places or like shift it or or. Yeah. So it was like every day you were just learning more and more and more. And it was like something that I'd never experienced. And it was, yeah, like totally addictive. So how, so your first season was living with Jamie Baker and Stu Brass in Bork, is that right? Simon Brass. Simon, so yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine making that mistake. God, what are the chances? Let, let, for the listener, <laughs> there'll be a, we'll throw back to that some at some point in the series, the Stu, Si, Chris, Dave thing. But we'll get to that anyway. Enough rambling. Yeah, so that was your first season. How old? See, that's the thing. I was like, no. So that wasn't my first season. So my first season, or attempted season, was I dropped out of photography college, and I went to Les Arcs with Andy and Matt Davis, and we oh, had an you apartment. Were already there, weren't you? That's we had right. an apartment, and. We thought we were there for the season, but the apartment fell through at some point, so we were only there for a month. And I ended up coming back at the end of that, and they they went off to Courchevel and did finish the season. So that was like the first attempt. Borg Saint Maurice, which was which was then the next year, yeah, was the second attempt. 
And yeah, that was with Jamie Baker and Cybrass. And I'd met, it's quite funny because I'd not really met either of them. This is what's so random about these things is because it's like, I'd met, when I went out to do the first season with Matt and Andy Davis, I got the train all the way there to Borg St. Maurice. And then there was a contingent of people, British people in Borg St. Maurice. So like Chris Moran, Stu Brass, Steve Bailey, Matt Lowbridge. Anyway, so I knew where they lived and the idea was that I was going to go and spend the night there before I went up. That's right. To up to Les Arcs. So I got there, met um Matt Lowbridge in the in the stairwell. He helped bring all my stuff up. Stayed there the night and then went up. So I'd sort of I, I just sort yeah, touched on like that 35 Rue Deserto, which is like quite a famous address in British history, snowboarding for for Borg yeah. St. Maurice, because basically anyone that's lived in Borg has pretty much stayed there in the early years. Yeah. So we ended up, so the next year, we ended up in like one of the small apartments because Stu knew Madame Morel, who ran those apartments. So I'm guessing Cy got the apartment and then he needed people to live with. Yeah. So I jumped on and Jamie jumped on. Um, and I think I'd met Cy once at Sheffield, at the at the dry slope. Like British champs in Sheffield. Everyone was going around like there was there was a sort of tour of competitions, wasn't there, around the dry slope? So there was a sort of definite scene, and you'd see the same people. Yeah, exactly. And and it was just like basically we all just wanted to be there. Yeah. And because although no one knew each other that well, it didn't matter because we still, like I said earlier, we everyone had just the passion for snowboarding. So it's like yeah, it'd be fine. Yeah. Like, who cares? We're just going to go snowboarding every yeah, day. Yeah, like Sheffield lot were living upstairs and then... So then, you, yeah, so you had like a whole group of people from Sheffield above us. So like Reese Crabtree, Dan Woodcock, Paul Moore. And then above that, then you had Munson, Kenty. Um, can't remember who was in there. Was But then you, you had so many people coming and going. It was a real hub. Yeah. So there was always people staying and, and, and whatnot and various like, goings on in the town and um you know it was just a good time yeah yeah because everyone was just snowboarding every day that was all they didn't care about anything else yeah there was a lot of like you know and if the weather was crap you would just end up it wasn't a big nightlife in borg so it wasn't like no there wasn't there wasn't really much to do you you know so you might like end up getting going out or something every now and then but it wasn't like a regular occurrence no. it was all about snowboarding yeah 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 so, there's so, quite a scene that all i guess were all pushing each other as well yeah and then you know so that so that was like the first year and then we did you know having living with si and jamie then sort of opened a few doors like with some of the magazines i guess because you know si was you must have been sponsored you were sponsored in that first season weren't you already <sighs> No. Are you sure? No, I'm not sure. Because I'm pretty certain I had an airwalk board, and there's no way I would have had an airwalk board if you hadn't have been hooked up with Johnny Weeks already. Oh, maybe. Yeah, so, well, if I was hooked up with with airwalk at that point, I mean, that was a great sponsor. So, like, we were in at the board test in Caprun. Like, we've got to talk about the board oh, test God. because... There's so many things that I haven't just completely slipped yeah, my mind. Yeah, so the board test in Caprun... I mean, you didn't even really need to go there. But again, it was just another trip where everyone would go. Yeah. And it was like, right, well, if everyone else is going, 
I'm going as well. It's like yeah. a silly season, isn't it? So it's we, just like everyone's on holiday because there's not actually yeah. that much work to be done. There's a few people working, but basically everyone's on holiday. So, so yeah, so we got there. And this is actually, this is where I met like Mark Munson. That's right. Steve Harwood. Like there was a whole, this this completely changed my world actually, <laughs> this, this trip. Because everything had been fairly calm up until this point and then and then it just went nuts that trip literally the went bouncy, nuts tell the bouncy so, well, there's, there's so many stories here and they're not all mine <laughs> to tell but like you know I think because Caprun I think some of the businesses in Caprun restaurants and that had had enough of us <laughs> the British people turning up and just destroying their town so whatever the bar was with the fountain outside, I think pretty much every night all the plastic furniture ended up in that fountain. Yeah. And that is where I got on Airwalk. So Mark <laughs> Munson was already on Airwalk, yeah? And he introduced me to Johnny Weeks and I had to down some shots. So and I, downed, and, 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 and I downed the shots. I was like, there is nothing stopping me getting on Airwalk tonight if that's all I've got to do. So yeah. I downed the shots and then I was on Airwalk. That's <laughs> sweet. Yeah. And then, and then that that the rest of that week was just like right. I'm on airwalk now. Brilliant, you know, party time. Yeah. So then it's like right. Some for some reason we all went for a Chinese meal. We all went out for Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah. There's only and, so many restaurants. So like you had to like each night you just have to go to a different one. Yeah. So the Chinese was always. So we went for a Chinese, and we got like we got put in a separate room. Oh, we were in the room at the back, weren't we? Yeah, with a fish tank and the big table with the massive lazy Susan thing on it. <laughs> And I cannot remember who was there. I know some people that were there. Yeah. But I don't remember everyone. But a massive food fight happened. People were throwing food in the fish tank. It, so, we completely trashed so that restaurant. Order. We completely trashed that restaurant. And then we left in high spirits. Very high. Because we were very pleased with ourselves. <laughs> um and then the the river that you walked down next to was like raging, and we were just grabbing street furniture and yeeting it into the into the river. We were the biggest bunch of wankers. So bad, isn't it? Proper Brits abroad. I know. But in that moment, you look back and you think that's how bad. But at the moment, it was euphoric. Yeah, it yeah it really was. It was just it had that element of. You'd seen it from America, like snowboard, you know, like the pro snowboarders tearing it up. And just in that kind of British way, it's like, yeah, we're going to fucking show. They think they know how to do it. Like, we know how to do it. But not even that consciously, but it was just like everyone G-ing everyone else up. There was no malice in it whatsoever. There was no one got hurt. No one was out to, except maybe the bouncy castle. There may have been a little bit of malice in the bouncy castle. But well, the waiter sort of teased yeah, us up for that, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did. But anyway, we'll get to that. <laughs> but yeah, there was no malice. It was just we were out having a good time. Yeah. And whatever we thought, literally, if an idea popped into your head, then it was, it happened. It was on. Yeah. So, so yeah. And then, so then one of the nights we went out for dinner and... I think we all ordered lasagna or something. We there was like 10 lasagna, lasagnas. Yeah. Everyone wants lasagna. And he came out and he was like, oh, there's only like four lasagnas. So everyone's like, oh, okay, all right, well, I'll have. Like, everyone chose something else. And then he bought out five lasagnas. <laughs> he's like, he just said there was only four. But he's bought out five. He's he's he's, he's mugging us off. He's mugging <laughs> us off. He's doing it on purpose. 
and they had a bouncy castle next to the next to the restaurant. So I was like, right, the bouncy castle is getting it. So I pocketed one of like the steak knives, and then as we left, I just douche, just 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 gave it to the bouncy castle, and then the bouncy castle just slowly deflated, slowly and deflated. that was like, don't fuck with us, or the bouncy castle gets it. But back then it seemed to be like that's what everybody, everyone went and did a season. It didn't yeah. work. Yeah. it was well, sort of affordable. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, especially like, I don't, know, I don't know about France. I guess, you know, that was when it was the franc still. Some of it, yeah. Yeah, so, well, at least for me it was. And then, so the pound was obviously quite strong against the franc because, or I don't know how, we, you know, we only needed like three grand to live there for the whole season. Yeah. And then when we went to Canada, we needed about five grand. But the pound was so strong against the Canadian dollar. Yeah. So it was like two dollars to every pound. So like you're doubling your money, basically. And it, and we didn't work like none of the English lot that was part of that kind of exodus, if you like, or... None, none of us worked, so we'd all saved up money or had a little bit of money from sponsors or a bit but of I'd both. I'd say most of you were sort of sponsored and trying to live the dream, weren't you? There was a few people that sort of tagged along that were just there for, for the fun of it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But and it certainly felt like you lot went to Canada because you were like, right, are we going to, we're going to up, you know, that's where it's happening, that's where we'll up our game the most. Yeah, I was thinking about this, and I think, like, when you come up on dry slope, you're literally just doing laps, hitting the jump, doing laps, hitting the jump. Yeah. And then when you go to Europe, you know, the parks were renowned to be a bit rubbish. Inconsistent. And it, yeah, and you would, so you'd have the odd day where the jump was amazing, like, in the park, but most of the time it was you were going off building jumps, free riding, and yeah. just riding all over the mountain. And I think for 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 everybody that went to Whistler, and probably similar to the people that were in Breckenridge as well, we we were drawn to the the park because it was really similar to that. Yeah. That just getting laps in, you know, and even like we would go riding the mountain, but you know you've got a whole park there that's like groomed every day, that's perfect, and also and you seemed- could just learn. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. could just. Just, just you would start at the top. You'd have like five or six jumps, then like a perfect half pipe, and then a straight line down to the lift again. You know, and you're doing that every day. And it's, it's I suppose it's a bit more like skate park. Yeah. You know, you're just in the skate park, and you're like, right, I want to try this trick. You got like five jumps to try it on if you want, yeah. Or you want to try this trick into this trick. That's what it became. Yeah. Right, I'm going to do this into this into this, and that. You know, that was. That's kind of skate-esque as well, isn't it? Like putting a line together rather than it just being about a solo trick. You still throw a Mickey, do you reckon? In my head, I could. But whether I could... I reckon I probably could. But there's no pipes anywhere, is there? It's only dropping the shoulder, isn't it, really? (laughs) So, but I don't know. There's no pipes anywhere. Yeah. No. So, like, where you know, you know, that's like a real shame because it's become. I don't know what it's become, but the average person doesn't get to ride a pipe, do they? 
No, well, they're so fucking big that you just wouldn't go anywhere near it, even if you're sort of a reasonable rider. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the thought of, you know, going out to Larks next month and someone said, oh, yeah, you'd have to try and ride the pipe. It's just like, are you kidding me? You could. It's fucking 22 foot. Yeah, but you could, couldn't you? But you would literally be riding up it, ollieing. Like, you're <laughs> not getting out. <laughs> you're, you're just ollieing at the top of the transition. Ollieing a foot in from the top. Just in. In. And then down again. Yeah. Not even out. No, you wouldn't be getting out. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to ride a pipe like that. Fucking terrifying. Yeah, I was, I was a little bit sad when you went to Canada because I thought we had sort of quite a good few adventures in, in France. And it was a bit like, oh, he's going to Canada now. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, I still had a, like, that was the season, your first season in Canada was when I lived with Munson and Kent mm-hmm. and Tim. And it was the just the best, like the best snowboarding, the best hanging out after snowboarding. But there was a bit of me that was just like, oh, fucking hell, that lot have gone to Canada, I'm a bit gutted about that. But then, you know, you had to do what you had to do. I think until that point, sort of, you sort of followed... Not necessarily followed me, but we sort of did quite a lot of stuff together. I think I think going to Canada, one of the driving factors was Canada was just to try and like become my own person. Yeah, you know, I think in the scene it was, and and I think probably even today, you know, still it's we're Chris and Dave and brothers, and people often can't tell which one's who. Stuart Brass, especially, especially, <laughs> and I think at that point for me, what well, I was like. 18, 19, and I think I was like, right, we've been riding dry slope, doing all the dry slope comps yeah. and travelling around together for four or five years. And it was like, I think I need to go off yeah. and find who I am and what, what I'm about rather than having like that. I don't know, safety net of a family member around or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, I need to go out and be my own person. And it was just sick because, you know, being in being in France with Mark Munson and Mark Kent, we were riding every day. Nick Hamilton, the photographer, would come and stay with us. So we would shoot all the time. But Johnny, obviously, Johnny Weeks obviously had a budget for advertising yeah. And was working quite closely with Chod and Nick at White Lines. So, you know, I was then getting double page adverts. Yeah. At a time where there was not very many British riders getting double page adverts in UK magazines, you know, like it always made sense to me if you're selling something in England, why would you not? All the brands had loads of riders. Why would you not use photos of your riders? But for some reason, that never really translated. But with Airwalk, I had some sick adverts. Yeah. You know, and that that meant a lot to me because that meant, like, the brand were investing in me as well. And then, obviously, Nick then had a, an outlet to sell his photos. So then he was happy to work with me. So Chod, which, Chod designed them as well. Yeah, Chod designed them, I'm sure. And then so we had this really nice relation, working relationship while I was on Airwalk. You know, Nick liked taking photos of Kenty and Munson and everyone in Borg anyway and around. So so he was always around. So we would just, just do this thing. And then, you know, and then one day Nick turns up. We hadn't He hadn't been around for a while. He turns up and he gives me this CD 
And I'm like, oh, of course, this. And then I look at it, and it's it was a CD called, a compilation CD called Snowboard Generation. And it was sponsored by Airwalk. Yeah. And I think it was made by HMV. I don't know. It had something to do with HMV. Yeah, it's probably one of their like in-house compilations. Yeah. They just sell a bucket load and make loads of money. On exactly. It. And there I am on the cover of this mat on this 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 CD. Yeah. And I'm like, bloody hell! Like this is amazing. Like. Wow, I can't believe this. And then later, you know, and then it's like, oh no, there's posters. You know, there's posters of this, and it's it's all over HMV in England, like all the stores all across the, stores. the country. Yeah, yeah. You're on it. You're like everywhere. Like my brother Mike, you know, worked in London, and he went down to like Oxford Street or wherever HMV, and it's like this huge display <laughs> in yeah, the window, so and sick. it's like, oh, this is unbelievable, really. So, you know, that was just, yeah, I mean, that was a real highlight to, to get that. Would you say that's like the sort of, in your snowboarding career where you're like, yeah, fucking hell, that's pretty mental. Like, what's, what's the mental moment in your snowboard career? Is it that or where you just think, how have I got here from Crayford? Um, yeah, I mean, they say everybody gets like five minutes of fame, don't they? That's what they say. Fifteen, actually. <laughs> well, in my case, it was only five. <laughs> you got another <laughs> I've got ten another to try to have, yeah, I'm, I'm, at some point. Yeah. No, I, I think that, that, I mean, obviously, from an exposure point of view, that was by far the biggest ex- thing exposure-wise. Yeah. You know, and then we went, that year, the Brits were in Sasfe, and that was carnage as well, but there were posters in the oh, bar wow. and... You know, it was just like nutty, you know, and Airwalk had a big house there and like we got, it was like, well, being on Airwalk was like being treated like royalty, like honestly, got so well looked after. Like I think that whole period was probably the most special because that, that did like, I was on Airwalk as I went to Whistler as well and I, well, yeah. I was in Whistler for the first season, I think, before everything at Airwalk kind of disintegrated. Um. So that that was probably the most special time in snowboarding for me, you know, where it felt like, wow, look, like doors are open. Now. Things are like cool things are happening. Yeah, yeah. Have you got a moment where you just think, fucking hell, I grew up in this place, didn't like school, but yet here I am, sort of net, like here I am doing this thing. No, no, I don't feel like that. I feel like snowboarding gave me the opportunity to grow as a person. And and an, and an opportunity to be somewhere other than where we grew up. Yeah. Um. So I guess I'm kind of lucky or grateful or whatever that you know that I went down that path. Yeah. Because it it definitely put me on a different trajectory to what most people that grew up in that area. Yeah, I would, mean, would have had. So so you know without snowboarding. I would be in a very different place. So I guess, you know, I'm I'm grateful that getting into something that was just fun and exciting took me somewhere. Yeah. yeah. For me, snowboarding gave me the the means to be somewhere else. It wasn't. I, I wanted to be somewhere. I, I wanted to get out of there. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I loved the mountains and snowboarding was like the reason to be in the mountains. You know, so that's what it was for me. 
just gave me that fucking sense of I'm doing something cool, fun, switches my brain off while I'm doing it. So it gives me respite from myself. Yeah. And I get to do it here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think... So as much as I love dry slope, it was being in the mountains that was the real draw. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, there's... You know, like... Yeah, I mean, I don't know how I would have ever ended up in the mountain. You know, like, experiencing and, and being in so many different mountainous areas of the world. Do you know what I mean? Like... Yeah. You have... You catch yourself, don't you, at moments... Like, you can't predict when it's going to happen, but you'll be somewhere, you know, one that specifically, like I always, there was always one bit in Whistler where you walk down the high street and then there's just the mountains in the background and it's like, you can't not see them. Yeah. And you just think, oh my God, look where I am. But then you can get that all all the time, like, you know, just on a chairlift or like yeah, yeah. halfway down a run, like you, you go, I'm like, I cannot, I cannot believe that I'm here in this environment, you know, it's very, it's a privilege, isn't it, really, to to be in that environment. And it's a million miles away from, like, suburbia. Yeah. And it, I guess it feels when you're in that environment that kind of, like, you know, anything's possible, maybe. Like, if I got here, then I can probably, you know, get anywhere else. Yeah. So do you feel that now when you go away with the kids like do you sort of have those moments where you're saying fucking hell this is this is cool this like I've sort of done it I feel I get I think now it's almost like I get vertigo (laughs) like you know like you're you're getting old you'll be yeah you'll be on the lift like there's there's this one particular bit in in Morzine where you come up onto the Swiss border or yeah. in Avoria you come up on the Swiss border and there's like my favourite cliff Banzer Cliff it's like this curve and it's just beautiful yeah it's so stunning but it makes you feel so small and so high up yeah. that it kind of gives you that sort of vertigo feeling that it's like oh I've got to get down from here sort of thing you yeah. know but that is an, in, in itself that's quite a nice feeling because it's making you feel kind of as insignificant as you are, really. Yeah, I know exactly that feeling. I get that when, if you go out the back of the plan, up the bell cot, I mean, you're f- fucking high up and you're far away. Mm. It's like, if anything, I've got a serious mission to get home. Like, I'm out in the wilderness here. Yeah. Even though, you know, there's there's one chairlift. <laughs> but, I, you know, you get that kind of fucking hell. I'm way out here yeah it's brilliant I love that feeling it sort of scares me but I like it too yeah I find that does, I'm, I'm getting older I get like get like I get scared of like those like chairlifts you know like there's always a couple of like horrible chairlifts that Were you, with us when you we think took... could collapse at any minute or like they're so high when they go over like I don't know like a valley or something and it's just like you're I, like I get really nervous on those now, so I quite like the the newer ones, the faster ones that stay quite close to the ground. Were you were you with us when Mum and Dad came out to see us in France? No, at the show, and we took Dad, Mum and Dad up the Aiguille Rouge. And so, for listeners, my dad's a structural engineer. He took one look at the cable car. I was just like, I'm not getting on that. <laughs> 
done like a five minute assessment and in we his were head like, and no, he was no, just no, like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Um, mum was like up for it. I'm going up there. And I'd sort of forgot to mention at the top, you come out onto like this sort of metal. It's like the cheese grater stuff. Cheese grater it? stuff, you know, like, and you can see through it. And up there, when you see through it, you're looking down like a thousand metres straight down. And she comes out and just like fucking. It was so mean. Like, again, it was one of those, like, I don't think I looked after her quite enough. No, I mean, I've got, but I mean, this isn't the place where the stories about stitching <laughs> your parents up, but I got them like horse riding in New Zealand when they were there. <laughs> That fuck dad's hit right up. My mum wouldn't do it, and then I got them a helicopter trip in New in Canada when they Did were you? there, and they, I don't, I don't, they didn't do it, or they got got cancelled or something. Yeah, whenever they go somewhere, I try and organise like a, an experience for them, but, an extreme experience. But yeah, doesn't ever <laughs> never goes well. Um, oh bless them. The Olympics isn't snowboarding. You know, like for the everyday person, Olympics isn't snowboarding. Like, that's not what it's about. Like, snowboarding in the Olympics and what snowboarding actually is are two completely different things, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I think this is something that we have, like, everybody touches on it a bit. Yeah. And I try, and certainly probably more with Melanie than with anyone else, it's like, what's the experience of somebody watching watching snowboarding now as they see it? The mainstream media, it's now competitions. Yeah. And you might get a bit of something of Travis Rice. But mostly, if you see Snowball on TV now, it's a competition. It is. And it's fucking insane. Yeah. Like, it is insane, but is it interesting to watch? Is it insane in the same way that, you know, like, aerial ski jumping is insane, but absolutely no fucker wants to do it? Well, this is, this is, I mean, this is exactly my, I mean, we've never ever talked about this, but this is exactly the same thing that I think about, right? Right. Like, I, I love snowboarding, yeah. I'm not going to be the old fart that says, oh, how many spins do you need to do to, to make something? Like, how many more 180s can you add on? Say the classic. The classic. Oh, well, I'd much rather see a... I'd, clean, rather, I'd, I'd rather, rather see, see a, a back, floaty backside 180. 180. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Right, but like, how many 180s can you put on? And I guess the answer to that is it's indefinite. As long as yeah. the jump is big enough and you've got someone crazy enough to do it, you can just keep adding 180s on, right? But freestyle skiing or hot dogging, as it hot dogging. as it was called, that is a phrase I haven't heard for a long yeah, time. was exactly the same. It was this counterculture activity, you know. It had like all this sort of history and kind of fuck the man attitude about it. And then it got into the Olympics, and it and it killed it. Because it got to the point where then they're, they're capping how many flips and spins you can do because it's so dangerous. So they're trying to put a safety mechanism in place. So And then it's coming down to like naught. So everyone's doing the same trick. It's coming down to like 0.2 you know, points. You did it better than this person, but you're all doing the same thing because that's the hardest trick you can do. Yeah, or, or and, certain tricks have a certain point score yeah so people know how to like what tricks to put together to score a certain amount of points it's not how you execute the thing it's just whether you do it or not yeah and and i i suppose you know and and snowboarding is going down like olympic snowboarding is going down that road yeah like because eventually the olympic committee will say right well we can't make the jumps any bigger because someone will absolutely someone will kill themselves yeah 
And when that happens, that's going to put a massive, that's going to change Olympic like competition snowboarding forever. So although like I love watching the Olympics, I love listening to Tim and Ed do the commentaries. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just like the best thing ever. And like seeing Jenny and Billy do what they've achieved yeah. is just mind blowing and phenomenal. And, you know, you're never going to get a better to experience watching TV than watching someone represent, you know, someone in your community do something like that yeah. and come out yeah. on top. Like, just doesn't get any better than that. No, that still gives me shivers if I think about it. But that isn't that isn't what snowboarding is. Like, snowboarding's got nothing to do with that, really. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. like you say, you know, when you see snowboarding on TV now, it is only that. There's no lifestyle stuff. There's no culture stuff. No. So, like, for my kids seeing it, well, they don't see it because <laughs> we don't watch it. You know, it's never on. Do you never sit down to watch a new movie together? Or? Never. Right, so they've come to it from a point of view of knowing that I used to snowboard and then they've sort of seen a few photos and bits and pieces and they've sort of thought, oh, I'd quite like to try that. When you get your portfolio out and sit down in between them, come on, children. And this is check out what your dad used to be like. Look how rad I, I used to I be. The thing is, now you look back and you've got all these fond memories, and you look back and you just realise how shit you were. <laughs> and you tell yourself it was twenty years ago or twenty five years ago, and that. But you, you, still, still, it was still shit. Anyway, so you know they 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 come. To, so it's almost better not to see any snowboarding. Yeah to get into it than it is to witness the Olympics or just to go and literally experience because because going to the mountains is brilliant yeah riding a snowboard like I still get loads of joy out of going through the baby park hitting one of the little boxes doing like a back front side tail slide or you know whatever I don't even know what you would call it because of skateboarding and snowboarding like what's it actually called but doing like a little jib on a box or like doing a, an air on a hip or, you know, like I still love doing those things. Yeah. And that's attainable for everyone, you yeah. know. And like then watching your kids do those sorts of things, learning to turn, going down the slope, you know, that's just as gratifying as anything I've ever done on a snowboard. So, you know, it's... You've got to differentiate. I think it's really important for people to differentiate those two things. Going snowboarding is 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 a completely different experience and something yeah. that's incredibly fun and rewarding and enriching. Where the Olympics is a spectacle to be watched. So, I mean, you've you've obviously you've taken your kids out and got them into it, insofar as they like doing it. Yeah, like that's what one of the things they want to do every year. They want to go snowboarding. They asked to go, so then I took then we took them. Say so, so. Say for instance, well, someone like me, yeah, who does have kids, kind of wants to take them. Was doesn't want to. I fucking knew a postman would interrupt us. It happens every time. Nice one, man. Yeah. Christmas presents turning up. Chris Moran. Chris Moran. Chris Moran's gate crashed my podcast. Fuck off. We get all these posts. <laughs> Next time I do one in here, oh, it seems a parcel turns up for him. He's like he's projecting himself in here. 
um, yeah, what would you say to me, for instance, or what advice could you give me for someone with some kids who wants to take them, obviously is aware of the expense, like what it costs. Like I can go snowboarding for cheap. I can go and sleep on a friend's floor, possibly even borrow a lift. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Do it on the snide a little bit, do it cheap. Yeah. Taking your family away is a different kettle of fish. Yeah. And how to introduce them to it so it's not like, we've got to go and do eight hours on the mountain because we paid for it sort of thing. Like how to get them into it without sort of pressuring them into it. Well, that comes down to you or the person as a, you know, like I've seen definitely when we've gone away with the kids, I've seen parents losing their shit, like at their kids. Yeah. It's definitely me. Right. <laughs> and like they're that pressure to like, I don't know, be better than they are. Yeah. And just taking all the fun away from it. I think, you know, it is an expensive holiday. And there are ways of making it cheaper, depending on where you go, where you stay, whether you share with other people or not. You know, if you can get a little crew of you together, you can offer, you know, actually accommodation doesn't need to be that expensive. Yeah. And if you go at the right time of year, well, go at the right time of year. I mean, if you've got kids, don't go in the middle of winter. Do you know what I mean? They'll be freezing. They'll have a, they'll have a crap time probably. But, like, if they're being introduced to it, you want them just to be in the snow and have fun in the snow yeah. and have fun in the snow with them. But, you know, from our... When when you're... You know, from, from our point of view, or people that have snowboarded for a long time, like, so the, your guests on, on this, I think that can be quite a tricky transition from going snowboarding to going on a winter holiday with your family yeah it's not the same thing like <laughs> don't expect to get many runs in yeah if you go with a group then you can take it in turns yeah so you do get more runs in and as the kids get better it opens up the more and more of the mountain opens up but we're on like year three and the kids can turn and they're quite adventurous. They're fine on the lifts and stuff like that. So that we're beginning to get further out into the into the ski area, but it's not. You're stopping for lunch. You're stopping for hot chocolates. You're messing around. You know, you're messing around in the snow. You're digging igloos. You're sledging on your. You know, you're you're messing around. And actually, if you can let yourself do that, it's lovely. Because there's more to there's more to being there than there is just snowboarding. Yeah, you know I know that's what that's but that's just one activity. There's lots of other things that you do just messing around in the snow that kids will enjoy just as much as. And you took your kids to the snow or the snow centre, I think it's called, isn't it? Yeah, and in also Hemel. the dry slope. Yeah. Is it worth doing that to get a few lessons under their belt? I think, like, what that does, right, so we took the kids to Hemel, and they had a lesson at Hemel, and they basically, the first lesson was just scooting around on a board. Yeah? Yeah. I don't think they came down the slope. They literally just scooted around for an hour. Yeah. So, for my, like, what I would say is, that doesn't need to be done. You don't need to spend, like, however many, you know... 60 70 quid to do that yeah but like going to but but getting them like not so going to the local dry slope getting them to put the kit on scoot around the local dry slope gives them an idea of like 
what it's like to have a board on their feet. Yeah. They're not going to, you know, like knock hatch, which is closer to us, it can be quite slow. And if you're small, then you don't have enough weight to right, build momentum. So, so you're literally just stuck to the slope. Yeah. Yeah, unless it's wet. So, and then even then, like, you know, like Travis went and he hardly had it. He, he'd hardly been on a snowboard and he, he got to the top of the slope and he literally straight lined it the whole slope. <laughs> and he wasn't going particularly fast, but he just straight lined it because if he didn't, he would stop. He wouldn't get, wouldn't yeah. So it's not giving him an, uh, like a real intuition on what snowboarding is, but it's give, getting them used to the kit yeah. and what that feels like. And then obviously once you get on snow, it's like super slippy. Yeah. So it's then, but go to the nursery slopes and just, you know, when we've done it, we've, we've all gone to the nursery slope. We've just taken some lunch with us, just put our bags at the bottom of the lift and you, know, you use the magic carpet and you just help that, you know, you're walking down helping them and you just step by step, you know what I mean? Heels, toes, bit of falling leaf, then let them do it on their own and then start to help them put the turns in. And because at least in um, Morzine, like the, the magic carpet run is really flat. Yeah. So they can be linking turns, you know, quite quickly because it's not particularly intimidating because mm. if you go flat out you end up stopping anyway you know so they're the sorts of things that i'd recommend and, and often the free the, the the flying carpets or the magic carpets are free yeah so you don't necessarily need lift tickets but what i would say is that what you get out of watching them progress and if you can keep yourself <laughs> controlled enough to actually go through that experience with your kids and give them what they need it's really rewarding and you know from my point of view you know i've said it before but it's probably some of the best days you know like there's probably like a handful of best days snowboarding and 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 watching them link turns was like by far it's definitely in the top five you know top five top five sick yeah so i would say do it you invested in greystone which is the action sports sort of training facility in manchester yeah which is obviously a place that's trying to, they've got foam pits and shit, so there must be some sort of snowboarding aerial thing. Why did you feel like you wanted to invest in that? Well, the thing is, so like when I find like sort of, so when I drifted away from snowboarding, I, it's not that I hadn't sort of, I had fallen out of love with it a little bit, but I still had a lot of love for board sports and action sports in general. And then I was trying, I, I basically wrote this business plan to create a Woodward right. type facility in, in England. Right. And I went through it and I was like, no, won't can't make it financially. I just cannot make this work. Like, you know, I was going through it. I was trying to find venues and I was just like, this is going to be like, you know, I'm going to have to invest millions into this. And I don't know if I can raise millions. You know, <laughs> I try not to put any barriers in front of myself, but yeah, yeah, yeah. like trying to raise a lot of money for an unproven concept in England is could be considered quite a feat. So I was doing all this research and I was then and then and then I started seeing these little snippets about Greystone. And then, you know, and then it was like, oh, 
I saw that they had a thing and then they were doing like a crowdfunder and all of this. And I was like, I thought, all right, well, I'll, I'll reach out to them and see what they're doing. So, so um, I reached out, I met Ben. We met Ben like locally and we had a drink and we had a chat through and he sort of told me what, what he wanted to do or what they were trying to do. I mean, by that point, they'd actually had the site, so it was kind of what they were doing. Yeah. Um, and I thought, right, there's not going to be two of these. For, you know, there's not going to be, like, two major, like, <laughs> brands doing this in the UK. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's not going to be, like, my version and their version. So rather than me trying to invest, like, you know, re-mortgage my house and reinvest, you know, everything, risk everything, why don't I just give them some money? And I had some money. Yeah. So I decided to invest in it. And and the reason for that is because, you know, like, as I was coming up, I was part of the Junior Olympic Development Team and all of these different things. And I went away. We went on trips. We got training. We got opportunities to to go to different countries to work with different coaches to meet for other riders you know from different countries you know we we got like all these different opportunities and that meant an awful lot to me at that point because you know coming from you know like the school background which wasn't particularly suitable for me this was something that I was whether you would use the word excelling at but I was doing well at it Mm. And the thing about, you know, like Greystone is that that's, that facility potentially gives other people the opportunity to have some similar experiences and to gain or get support or have an environment where they can improve their skills. So, you know... There was, there's definitely, you know, there wasn't going to be, you know, loads of them, you know, different ones all over the country. Maybe there'll be different greystones. That's the goal. There will be different greystones all over the country. But I don't think, um, from my point of view, it was like, right, I, I, I'm probably better off backing these guys yeah. than I am trying to do it on my own. And, you know, that it was their fifth birthday. So I'm, you know, I invested about five years ago. They, they've got to five years, you know, they've had like, they had the first British skateboard champs there that was on BBC, yeah, you yeah. know, they've got loads of different events, they get loads of media coverage, you know, they, you've got people like Katie Omrod who does loads of trampolining and stuff there for her training. I'm pretty much sure like, you know, most people go through there at some point, you yeah, know, and they've totally. got like the snowboards with the wheels on into the foam pit. I haven't tried them yet. I'm still, uh, maybe I've missed that boat, but you know, they're, they're doing great things, you know, and they've managed to get through what's been like a really hard, you know, they've had COVID. Yeah. So they just opened and they were open for a bit and then COVID happened. So that's basically two years of that, you know, messed them around. And then you've got like the recession so, you know, the fact that they've got to five years is is amazing, you know, and like we're just hopeful that over the next few years we can kind of, or they're going to push the brand and, you know, I can give them some moral support yeah. from the sidelines or whatever. But yeah, I think, you know, 
those sort of facilities, other countries have those facilities for their athletes. And I think it's really important that we have that sort of facility and we will have one, you know, and we've got one and I'm really stoked to be part of that. Yeah, that's cool. So just to finish up then, what, what does snowboarding mean to you now? Snowboarding to me now is funny because I'm probably frothing more this year than I have in the last 10 years. I love the fact that everybody's using the word frothing. To well, yeah, because that's like what the kids say, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, we're frothing. Um, and I that's been because of the kids. Right. Yeah, they've totally brought my love of snowboarding back. Just watching them enjoy themselves and have fun in the mountains and, you know, not just, it's not just, like I said earlier, it's not just about snowboarding, it's about everything, you know, just about having fun with your family, friends, messing around, being free in that environment is precious. And I hope that by doing it now, this will become like a an annual thing. Even as the kids get older, you know, we will come together as a group for a week, a year or something somewhere in the mountains to just hang out and go snowboarding together. So for me, it's like now snowboarding is almost more important to me now than it was because I see it as a way of reconnecting with the whole family. Amen to that. Thank you, Dave, for coming over and doing that with me. It was felt a bit awkward at first trying to balance being a podcast host and asking sensible questions with just me and Dave chatting for four hours or whatever it ended up being um so yeah I hope you enjoyed that I hope that it wasn't a bit self-indulgent getting my brother on but he's an interesting guy that is a great great snowboarder he's got the best style and has been my favorite person to snowboard with forever so Hopefully, we'll get to go snowboarding together one day fairly soon. Relive some of those old times and have some new ones. So, yeah, Happy New Year. Um, hope to 2024 is treating you all right. I'm certainly glad to uh, be out the other side of Christmas. I find it quite full on, but um, it's been a good one this year and pretty reasonable. And, yeah, we're now in 24 and thoughts are turning to snowboarding and getting away. Uh, there's some chatter about going to the Larks Open uh, in a couple of weeks' time and doing some bits and pieces there, which I am very excited about. Uh, former guest, Ed Lee, he's going to be over there with Tim Warwood, uh, Henry Jackson, going to try and get him on. Tom Kingsnorth, who is next week's guest, he's going to be over there repping Transform Gloves. Um, going to be quite a lot of people and uh, yeah, I'm going to be doing some maybe some stuff for The Reason magazine, which is a brilliant magazine put together by Ian Sampson. You'll have heard Eddie Spearing last week talking and dropped Ian's name a few times. Well, he's still editor in charge of The Reason magazine, and um, it's a beautiful put together thing. Um, you can pick it up in W. Smith's, I think. And you get free, I think they've even got a free neck warmer. And they've got some product guides in there, and it's just a beautiful thing to leave. I don't know. I think mine lives in my toilet. So instead of looking at your phone, you can look at some beautiful images of snowboarding. And uh, wouldn't that be a great thing if we all did that rather than staring at our phones all the time? 
So yes, The Reason magazine, go check that out. There'll be a link in the show notes as always. Uh, the music at the top of the show is by a band called Helmet and no giggling at the back. And the song is called Biscuits for Smut and it's the Mutt Mix, which isn't the film I was going to talk about this week, but Dave requested this song and I've got it on 12 because I'm also a DJ and music producer when I'm not making this podcast. And uh, I put together this thing a few years ago called the Ultimate Snowboard Soundtrack and I'll post a link to that as well. And that track featured in that, but it's also featured in the movie The Garden that we've already talked about and is actually up on our YouTube channel right now. You can find that at Thank You Snowboarding. And Dave requested that song and I had it in I don't on 12 and you'll see on Instagram, which is also Thank You Snowboarding Podcast. Uh, a picture of him holding that 12 in the studio, my own studio where I produce this podcast called Goldtone Studio. If you need podcasting or music production, then uh, you can give me a shout. All right, but that's enough self-promotion. Yeah, so uh, the movie that I don't know if I edited it out, but certainly a movie that me and Dave used to watch religiously was, um, well, basically it was a moody copy and it had critical conditions and snowboarders in exile on it. And we used to just watch that over and over again. And it would certainly inform a large part of his style. I'm not going to say that I've got much style on a snowboard, but certainly influences his style. And um, yeah, so that's up on one of us at the top of the playlist on our YouTube channel at Thank You Snowboarding. I think I mentioned that I chucked a load of the Lockdown Projects movies up on the YouTube channel the other day. And um, we've got some other bits and pieces up there as well. So if you are looking for some inspiration for shredding, then yeah, go and check that out. Yeah, and our Instagram as well. Our Instagram's growing. Um, I've also been cross-posting a lot into the UK Snowboard History Facebook group. Um, Great thing about Dendex in there the other day that's had loads and loads of people telling us their stories about Dendex, which is really fun, really fun. Massive ass bruises, I think, is the main theme. And um, yeah, and that's been cool. Um, some people have been emailing in. Uh, Stuart Clouser emailed in to tell us a bit about his history. And he's just, I think he's just done a year in Morzine with his family. And it's good to hear that people are still getting out there and putting snowboarding into their family lives and, you know, sort of prioritising it. And yeah, thanks Stuart for getting in touch and telling us that. I think I recognise your name from Dry Slope, so we may have met before. And if we have, then I hope you're doing well. I haven't replied to your email yet, but I will do. Uh, See, yeah, anything else going on? I see the, uh, the Snowboard Asylum... Obviously, they support this podcast. They've been putting some stuff up about Volcom Outerwear that looks rather nice, featuring Brian Gucci in the adverts. Um, if you are listening at Volcom, I might be going snowboarding in a couple of weeks if you fancied hooking me up. Actually, Volcom did used to hook us up when we had the chalet and we had some Volcom beanbags, which were really cool. Um, I don't know what happened to them. I think we used to have the dog used to sleep on them and it eventually got really minging, so we threw it away. But yeah, um, we used to rep Volcom. Their stuff's great. I've got a pair of their, still got a pair of their um, denim, waterproof denim snowball pants, which uh, I love and I will be wearing if I go out to Lux in a couple of weeks. Um, 
but yeah, you can go and check those guys out. We're not hooked up with Volcom, but certainly if you want to hook us up, that wouldn't be so bad. Um, having some great conversations with people and got loads more episodes coming. Next week is going to be Tom Kingsnorth, who is heading up Transform Gloves. Uh, I know Tom from when he was 11 and used to ride at our local dry slope in Bromley. And that sort of ties in nicely with Dave's episode, really. And that was a really fun conversation. Um, so look forward to that next week. Um, other than that, just the usual, if you can obviously like and subscribe if you're not already, if you can put us a review on certainly Apple Music and Spotify or wherever lets you leave a review, wherever you get your podcast from, that would be much appreciated. The more kind of feedback, the more response we get means the more likelihood we can dive even deeper and keep this going longer and longer and longer because there are loads of stories to tell and people coming out of the woodwork to kind of say, hey, what about me? I did this thing. And it's like, wow, I didn't know that. So the more episodes we get to do, the more fun and interesting stories we can uncover. So yeah, uh, all that is appreciated. Like and subscribe, share it with your friends, all that kind of business. And um, yeah, so I think that's it for now. As I said, happy new year from every, well, from everyone. <laughs> Thank you, snowboarding, um, me and Shannon at the TSA. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week around about the same time. Till then, thank you, snowboarding. Peace.